Well, as we continue our study of the book of Romans, we're in chapter 4, but as we think about it, we're now moving into a new section of, of God pulling us to a place to think about this world in a big picture. And as we think about this world in a big picture and God's plans and purposes, let me ask you a question. Why is there so much fear? What is happening that a new generation of people are being raised and feeling and experiencing more anxiety than any previous generation? Why is it that there's more despondency? That is, people living without purpose, trying to figure out what makes life significant. And when you try to answer a question like that, at least as you look at the world, you can see we're turning to two places predominantly. One is just the self. It's all about me and how I can find or scratch out fulfillment. Or we live in a sex-crazed world. And so what we try to do is find it in some kind of sexual expression. We're searching for what? For God knows what. If you have your Bible, let's get into Romans 4. Romans chapter 4, if you have a device, that's awesome. What's so important though is, is you need to see that these are the living words of a true God that wants to speak into your heart. Sometimes I use the phrase, it's no accident that you're here. Well, let's flip that. Let me tell you, God has a purpose for you being here this morning. God has a purpose. So let's dive in. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God, give, whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. If you'd skip with me towards the end of the chapter, verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespass and raised for our justification. Father, we just got to say amen. <laughs> we just come to the place where we say amen. You have spoken. 
But God, as we delve deeper into your word, we ask in Jesus' name that you would remove the clutter. These stray thoughts, these strange things that we've been hearing all week so that we could hear your voice. And God, sometimes your voice is still and it's small, almost like a whisper. Help us to hear that. And now sometimes, because of the pain, sometimes that fear I was mentioning, anxiety, you're screaming. Help us to hear clearly what you want to say, whichever way it comes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, chapter 4 brings us to a really unique place, right? Because we just came out of chapter 3, and at the end of chapter 3, what we find is that Paul is concerned about boasting, right? There's this tendency that we want to say, hey, look at me. (laughs) Look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've done. And then sometimes, if you'll be honest with me, because I'm sure I'm not the only one that does this, is you compare yourself to others. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I may not be as good as her, but you know, God, I'm not that bad of a chap, right? I mean, like, that, that, that's how we kind of walk through this. And so Paul lays out this idea that there's a law of works and there's a law of faith, right? This is all at the end of chapter 3. He's trying to bring in this conversation. Now, when he says law like this, what he's talking about is like a, a principle or a rule. There's this principle or a rule, call it a law like he does, of works, And what we're trying to do there is what all the other religions of the world do. Even people of no faith will try to find a way to do good works or justify the works they're doing. It's just the way we're wired. We want to somehow earn favor with God. We want to somehow figure out, can I please this God? Well, then Paul puts that in contrast to, guess what? That law will never work because there's this law of faith. It's receiving the gift from God. We call it grace. And these are the two contrasts that are going on. If you want to ask a question, what sets Christianity apart? Or if you want to say it even a little more precisely, what sets Jesus apart from all the other religious leaders and all the other religious writings, it's grace. It's unheard of. It's a gift that you receive. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's given to you. And so Paul says, if it's a gift, where's the boasting? Why so much pride? So that is where he starts to take us. But then remember, in that church in the first century, there was a little bit of a group of people. Some of them were Jews. And they're saying, well, Paul, wait a minute. God did something with the Jewish people. And Paul's saying, yes, amen, he did. And he's saying, didn't God give them the law? Yes, God did. Are you saying, Paul, that the law, the Mosaic law then is bad? And he's saying, no, absolutely not. It was good. 
But then there were some Gentiles in the body too in that church. And so what he's showing is that God has a plan that's big, expansive for all the peoples of the world. That means you and me. It means every ethnic group. It means every person wherever they're found. That's all part of God's plan. So this morning, I'm going to bring out two points. The first one is this, is that God's plan and power changes destinies. God's plan and His power changes destinies. He intended to change yours. He tends to change mine. He's at work. This is a God of purpose. So how does He get there? Well, he drives us to the place of looking at Abraham. So as we get into this, we, we see is that the Apostle Paul is bringing us to a place of talking about Abraham. What then shall we say was gained? Or, or what, what did Abraham find? Right? That, that, that's the crux of what he's doing. He, he's talking about a God now that had a plan and a purpose that God is pulling you and me into it. Now, what do I mean? Well, we can't walk through every book of the Bible, right? But what God wants you and me to know is that in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amazing story. Just stop right there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How much have you heard the world talk about God this week? How much have you heard the world talk about the challenges that are in the world and that the solution is in God? How much have you heard anywhere outside of religious literature, Christian blogs and podcasts, the world recognize what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, that the biggest problem facing humankind is that we are unrighteous and we have deserved the wrath of God. Where have you heard that? You haven't. And so what we're doing as we come on Sunday morning is we're recognizing there's a whole nother story that's being written. And God is bringing people into His story. And He is giving people a new destiny. Exhibit A, Abraham. Who was Abraham? Abraham is tooling around in a country of God-forsaken people that have totally denied the true and living God. They were chasing after false gods. False gods. False gods. They couldn't figure out in their culture, is the wind god more powerful than the fire god? More powerful than the moon god and the sun god? And if there's all these gods, who's the most powerful? So they're constantly in conflict. This is all the mythology. It's all coming out of the ancient culture. And God breaks into Abraham and speaks to him. And says, because there's so much darkness that has spread over the whole earth because of sin that was introduced, entered because of one couple, Adam and Eve. 
It then spread to the whole world. Darkness. Separation from God. And God breaks into Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I'm God. I'm the true and living God. Right? And that story begins to unfold from Genesis, the end of chapter 11, where God starts talking about Abraham. I got a plan. I've got a new destiny for you. I want you to leave your people and I want you to move to where I tell you to move. You know what Abraham says? I'm going. He moves the best life possible. Just saying, just saying, he moves. And then God starts to unfold his plan and all the prophets are talking about Moses or uh, Abraham. And so that's where he begins. I want to go a little deeper into this so that we can all see exactly what I'm talking about as, as we look at this plan. So we ask ourselves, well, why, why Abraham? So it says here, Abraham. And so we ask ourselves, well, why, why did God start talking or why did God want Moses, Paul, to talk about Abraham. He first of all describes him as our forefather. He's talking about a spiritual forefather. This is where we're talking about being brought into the family of God according to the flesh, at least as we look at it from a human perspective. And then he starts talking about why Abraham. Well, the Jews respected Abraham. He, he was the revered one. He was the one that they trusted. He was the one that had spoken so much. He was this forefather. Even as the Jews looked at, at Abraham, they would have a picture of him. And, and Jesus even said this in Matthew 8, chapter 8, verse 11. He said, there's going to come a time when we're going to dine. All the people from the east and the west, it says, just an expression to say God is going to gather all his people together and they're going to dine with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at this big dinner. It's an amazing picture, right? So they revered this person, Abraham. So he goes on and we say, well, why else? Well, because he was the father of the nation, right? He was the one that was going to be the start of all of God's plan through the people of Israel. So Abraham then becomes exhibit A. Let's get into the story of Abraham. So as he does that, he brings us to a place. He says, for if Abraham was, remember the word justified, we talked about last week, that is declared right. If Abraham was declared right because he was all that and a bag of chips, then he would have something to boast about. But remember last week is that Abraham had nothing to boast about because there's never anything to boast about before God. There just needs to be a pause in a culture that is so filled with self. There's nothing to boast about when it comes to God. Then Paul goes on, he says, for what does the Scripture say? What's Scripture? Scripture. Well, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's going all the way back to Genesis. And he's going all the way deep into the life of Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That becomes so significant 
becomes so significant on several fronts. First of all, that Abraham believed God. He put his trust in the true and living God. And it was counted. If you see this word counted in just the few verses we've read, it's something like five times over and over. So you get the idea, hey, he wants us to think about this idea of being counted. And then we get our word righteousness. In other words, how can you and I, people that have rebelled against God, and all of us are rebellious by nature and by choice, how is it that we can get righteous, right? And that's where we were last week. And so he's saying Abraham was the one that was uh, so significant in this. So as we look at this, let's go back into the quote, is he's going right back, as you can see down here, Genesis chapter five, uh, 15, verse 6, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It had nothing to do with what Abraham done. There was no works. There's no this justification by, hey, I'm a good guy, or hey, I obeyed God. None of that matters. What matters is that God was extending grace, and Abraham received it. He believed. And so that's where God is taking us, is it... Abraham then becomes this one who models it. So as I say, God comes to Abraham, I want you to leave your pagan family who's worshiping all kinds of idols, all kinds of false gods. I want you to leave that and you're going to go to the land that I promised. And you remember the story. Abraham's great, he's aged, and God says you're going to be the father of many nations, right? You're going to be the father of many spiritual children. But Abraham didn't believe it because he was old. So was his wife. And as the story unfolds, Abraham tries to take things into his own hands with his maidservant Hagar. That all falls apart. And God says, no, out of your body, out of your loins is going to come the child. Remember, Abraham's almost 100 years old. When his wife, Sarah, who's no spring chicken, she's like 90 years old, she gets pregnant. Well, God can do miracles. You believe in miracles, don't you? Do you expect miracles today? Do you believe in miracles? Because this Bible is a book of miracles. And we need to believe in miracles that God can take the most warped background and straighten it out. God can take the stuff that's in the closet and clean it out and give you hope for the bright future. Those are miracles that God is doing every day. He can take someone that is deathly ill with cancer and heal him or her. God can take people that are struggling with things and set them free from bondages of drugs and alcohol and all kinds of other addictions. This is a miracle working God. And so that, that's where we, we see it. And so the next big part of the story is God gives a miracle of Isaac. And what does God say to do? Abraham, do you believe me? Then go take your son Isaac and I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham obeyed. And when you read it in Hebrew, the grammar and the language says that as Abraham raised the knife to sacrifice his son, in Hebrew, it would describe it as a completed action, even though he never drove the knife 
or slit the throat of his son Isaac. Why? Because in Abraham's heart, he was willing to do whatever God said. He was surrendered to the true and living God. And why? Well, we get some glimpses into this because he knew that this miracle-working God could raise his son Isaac from the dead. So that's why Abraham becomes such an incredible model. So it's not an extension of Jewish faith that Paul's concerned about, but God is doing some new things. So now let me just bring us back into the, the big picture so that we can see what is all happening here. So we are like filthy rags. We are unrighteous. All of us are sinners by choice and by nature. We have rebelled against God. And God says, there's nothing you can do about this. You are in a mess. But I can do something about it. And so what he does in the big plan is God unfolds it from Abraham all the way to the coming of Jesus Christ. God says, here's my solution. It's Jesus Christ. And if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, Put your trust and receive his righteousness. Jesus died on the cross, paid for all of our unrighteousness, all of our warped lives, all of the stuff in the closet, all of it. Jesus takes it on himself. He says, if you'll let Jesus pay for it, then you will have new life in him and you'll have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What an amazing thought. What an amazing solution that it would be in Jesus Christ. So all of that is the way it goes. Now we're not quite to Romans chapter 10 yet, right? We're only in chapter 4, but in chapter 10, verse 4, it says this, that Jesus Christ is the end of the law. Now what does he mean that Jesus Christ is the end of the law? Well, I think he means two things. First of all, he means that Jesus did end all the structures of the Mosaic law in terms of sacrificing to God. But I think significantly what God was saying when Jesus is the end of the law, he's saying that God is fulfilling his purpose. That's why Paul would write to the church of Philippi. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our destinies, our future is all wrapped up with Jesus Christ. And for those that do not have Jesus Christ, their destiny is wrapped up with Christ, but it's going to end up in a very bad spot. So this is the story. This is where God is taking us. And Jesus opens all of this up for us. So now... Let me take us into a question, and that is, well, why the law? What was the purpose of the law? So the law, the Mosaic law, had three purposes, essentially. The law gives us knowledge of sin. The law was out there so that we could see, almost like looking in a mirror, this is what I am. This is why I need help. This is why I need hope. Then... It says the law helps restrain sin. The law put us on a path, almost like a curb in a road, right? It, it keeps you on the path. And so the law was meant to help us restrain from going off the path. So when God says in the Ten Commandments, thou shall not commit adultery, what's he saying? He's saying your wife is your wife is your wife. Be set apart to her. 
Our culture, of course, rips all that apart and says, hey, what does it matter? Now, God is concerned not merely about adultery, but all kinds of sexual sin. That's why marriage and family and everything is so sacred. And we just, as a culture, rip it apart. So law was to help us restrain from getting off the path. And thirdly, the law serves to guide our lives. The law was meant to give us some, some direction, almost like a, a school teacher. Let me help you go down this path. Let me give you some direction. So then, when we look at this, it's almost as if we could say the cross is written across all of this. Because the entire Mosaic law is pointing forward to the person of Jesus Christ. That was our hope. That was our direction. That's where God was going. So as we look at this, let me take us into this last section. And it's my second main point. Now we skipped a lot in between. So let me just comment. The Apostle Paul in verses 9 to 12, what he talks about there is, hey, didn't circumcision come after Abraham was reckoned righteous, counted righteous? Of course, they knew that. The circumcision of Abraham was to be a sign and a seal of God's promise. So how could works of the law do any good? That's where he goes in those verses. And then in verses 13 to 22, God made these incredible promises of of a heritage and a destiny and the promises to Abraham would that he'd have a large family and that that anchored in grace just look at just one verse there verse 16 that is why it depends on faith chapter 4 verse 16 that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise of this large family that Abraham was going to have may rest on grace notice grace comes back into the picture and be guaranteed to all the offspring Faith in the true God changes our destiny. That's my second point. It changes our destiny. It's not only that God's plan and purposes changes destinies. God wants to change yours. Why does any of this matter about justification being declared right? Why does any of it matter about being and knowing that we are fallen people, that we're separated from God? Because we live in a world that's crazy. It's filled with crazy. They're trying to solve things that will never get solved because they're dealing with the deepest part of the human heart. So when I ask the question, why is there so much fear? Why is there so much anxiety? What do we do with the despondency and the lack of purpose and hope? What we read today is the answer. Now, will we deal with fear? Yes, we have no pretense that on this side of glory, we're still dealing with stuff. But as we recognize differently than the world that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, that your life matters, 
that you are deeply and profoundly loved by the one and true God. It makes a difference. When people don't feel like they matter, God is saying, you matter and I'll show you how much you matter. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross so that you could be right with me. If you were the only person on the entire earth, God is saying, I would do that for you. When we get confused and we see these crazy things going on all around the world and things are broken and the world is saying, what's going to happen next? God is saying, I'll tell you what. I got a plan and I got a purpose for you. And I am going to bring you and I will fulfill my promises. Abraham, exhibit A, fulfilled, God fulfilled every promise to Abraham. God's going to fulfill every promise to you. So let me give you the promise that God's making for every person in Christ. He will safely bring you home to be with him forever. That is incredible hope and freedom. As we struggle with this stuff and fear begins to creep in my soul, I begin to say, well, wait a minute. Fear you have no place here because God has a plan for me. When I start getting anxious, I say, wait a minute, God has a promise for my life and it does not include anxiety. When I start feeling hopeless, I wait a minute, God has a future and a hope for me. All of this that we've been talking about matters because it's anchored in Jesus Christ. What I'm wanting us all to see is why it was so mission critical for God to send His one and only Son. So as we look at these last couple verses in Romans chapter 4, let's just look at it again. But it was counted, there's our word again, it was reckoned to Him, not because of works, but because of faith. It was not written for Abraham's sake alone, absolutely not. It was written, this is why the entire Bible needs to be read, so that you and I understand the big story of what God is bringing your little story into that it's not for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours. You know what he means? It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. God means this for you. And he means it for you. It will be counted to us who believe. What will be counted? Well, our justification that we will be declared right by God through Jesus Christ, the one who raised him from the dead, the one who was delivered up for your sin and my sin and was raised for our justification. So Jesus Christ is the one. So let's just close with this. We declare, we are declared right with God by grace alone. It's a gift. That's what grace is. Grace alone. You know why that's true? Because you and I were legally guilty. We stood before a holy God condemned. And we are spiritually dead. That's what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 teaches. We are spiritually dead. You know what dead means? Dead. It means there is nothing, absolutely nothing, you can do if God didn't do it. That's why it's grace. Through faith. Putting our trust in Jesus Christ. In Him alone. To the glory of God alone. God will not be mocked. He will not be robbed. 
So what do we do? We fight spiritual war with spiritual truth. So this week, when you start feeling anxious, when you start feeling fearful, when you start searching for God knows what, you just come back to the place where you say, God has a plan and a purpose, and I'm going to seek out him and follow his ways. When you start feeling overwhelmed with life, come back to him and say, okay, God, this is not your plan because your plan is one of peace and hope and righteousness in Christ. That's Romans 14, 17. So when you feel these things, keep coming back to the person of Jesus Christ, his plan and his purposes. Father, the truth of your word is so powerful. It's so liberating. It's so good. And so God, help us to hear these words, but not merely hear them, but to act on them by faith all week long. And so God, we pray that as you're at work and you're changing us, you're making us alive to the truth of your, your word. Help us walk in that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God is changing destinies. God is changing your life. Do you believe it? Say amen. amen. And God is making us more alive than we've ever been in our lives.